home and to be back. So we're going to jump right into uh, our, our, our message. Uh, we're going to continue, obviously, in James today. Obviously, the, the title of our message or the title of the series is Learning and Living a Faith That Works. Today, we're going to be focusing on, starting on James chapter 2. Um, we're going to be talking about verses 1 through 13. But before we do, obviously, we want to cover kind of what the theme of our series is, the, the, the point of what we're doing. And, of course, that is found in, in verse number 1 verse 4, which is uh, that you may be complete or uh, perfect, uh, lacking in nothing. And so that's really what this is about. That's really as we boil down James, that is really what we feel like James is teaching us and helping us to understand. And so as we go through this, we're actually, I've been kind of giving you a, a title for the entire series and then an actual more of a title for this particular section that we're going to be covering again, which is James 2 verses 1 through 13. And that is the sin of partiality. That is the title of our message as we begin to, to dive a little bit deeper into James and what he's saying to us today. But before we do that, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Father, we know that you've already spoken clearly. We know that, Father, you have now asked us to respond to that, and I pray that you would have us do that. But, Father, I also pray that, Father, you would use this word, that, Father, you would help me and that you would anoint me to share what you desire for me to share in this short amount of time that we have left, Father. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to kind of run through this, not quickly, but, but a little faster maybe than, than we would have before, which is fine. Um, but we're going to start, obviously, with, with the first part of James chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7, and basically we're going to talk about rejecting partiality. Rejecting partiality. And so we start here with James chapter 2, verse number 1. It says, My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothes comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in the good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. And I remember John mentioning this last week. I love it as well when he brings this up. Listen, my beloved brothers, my beloved. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of his kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you have been called? So what we have here is this idea of, of partiality or bias or favoritism. And, and it's a very interesting concept because as James begins to share this, he begins to dive in a little bit deeper and he gives us this example of this situation. James doesn't just say, don't do this. He gives us an example. And as we look at this example, there's a couple things we need to notice here before we continue on. And the first thing is this. James here is not saying that we should not treat the rich man well. That's not the issue here. The issue here is that basically James, the way he's written this is very interesting. James does not necessarily say that there's a rich man or a poor man. He basically describes what the person looks like. He talks about the poor person being in shabby clothing. He talks about the rich person being, and, and he names something specifically. He names a gold ring. Now, why does James do that? Why does he talk about that? Well, in Roman times, where James is used to that culture, and his readers are too, to have a ring, to have a gold ring was a symbol of wealth. There was actually stores in Rome that you could go to to rent a ring for a special occasion. Isn't that great? 
It's like, you know, now how many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, just, just answer honestly, because this kind of shows weirdness in my, in my opinion. How many of you have ever been to a class reunion? Oh, yes, class reunions. I, it, listen, I would rather have my head stapled to the floor than to go to a class reunion. I just, that's just not me. Now, if you enjoy that, that's awesome. That's great. But one of the things you always hear about class reunions or, or whatever is, is, is I got to show everybody how successful I am. I got to go rent the nice car or I got to dress up nice or, or, or whatever. This is kind of the same idea. Like people would literally go and rent rings and be like, so I'm doing pretty well. Got a ring. How much you rent that for? Oh, no, no, this is, this is mine. You know, no, no. This was a symbol. And so James here is talking about that. He mentions this ring. He's saying this person has wealth. Well, so what's the problem here? The problem is they're seeing the outside and not the inside. And see, God is very much against that. As we look in Acts, we see something very interesting here. In Acts 10, this is the story where Peter is being, helping, you know, God is helping Peter understand a little bit of what God is doing now. And basically he says in verse number 10, or chapter 10, 34 and 35, it says, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. This is obviously the story where, where Peter, the sheet comes down from heaven. And God says, take and eat. And Peter in this moment is beginning to understand that, that no longer, and not even before, does, does God show this. Now if God isn't showing partiality, neither should we. And so James is giving this example. Now, now, here's the thing. I understand as I was reading this and I was looking at this, I think it's very easy to go, is this really that big of a deal? I mean, is it really that big of a deal? Well, I think it is. And I think it is for a couple reasons. And the first is we have to understand a couple things. Number one, to show partiality shows that we care more for the outward appearance than we do to look upon the heart. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. This is the story where basically Samuel has gone and he is trying to anoint the new king of Israel. Saul has been rejected. He's at Jesse's house. And basically, Jesse brings out his sons, and they all look great. And Samuel keeps thinking, it's got to be this one, it's got to be this one, it's got to be this one. Because the way they look. And, and God responds to Samuel in this way. He says, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Can I ask you just a simple question? Kind of a probing question. Do you judge a book by its cover? Seriously. Do you judge a book by its cover? Because I'll just be honest, I do. I do. I, I see somebody or I see something, and I wish I didn't do this. I really do, and, and I'm, I'm working on it, but I do. I see something, and I go, oh, well, they must be this, or they must be this way, or that. Listen, guys, we're going to see in just a minute that's not just wrong. That's just not good. That's a sin. Okay? That's a sin. It's not a, well, maybe we shouldn't do that. That's a sin. And so when we look at that, we judge by the outward. God doesn't do that. Isn't that wonderful? That God doesn't look at the outside and go, oh, I can use this person, or oh, this person looks the part. I love that in Scripture, constantly we see God going, this guy looks nothing like everybody would expect. Let's use him. I love that the Scripture talk about Jesus, and they basically say, he didn't look like anything. You ever seen the pictures of Jesus? And Jesus is like beautiful, clean, straight white teeth, 
Like he just came from, you know, $20,000 in dental bills and teeth whitening. I don't like what Jesus looks like. I think, I think, they'll go with me here for a second. I think if Jesus literally walked in and looked like he did at that time, we'd be like, who's the weird looking guy? I'm not trying to belittle Jesus, but I mean, we see that constantly. We got to be careful of that. We got to make sure that we're not doing that. The second one, the second one that we want to look at is simply this. To show partiality shows we misunderstand who is important and blessed in the sight of God. Misunderstand that. You want an easy example? We look at people that have stuff. God loves them. God takes care of them. God's got them. People that don't, what did they do wrong? I remember actually having situations where I would deal with people and they would be talking to me and they say, I must have done something wrong. God must hate me. Why? Because he didn't give me this. What a crazy, unbiblical statement. But we do that. We see blessing, and so we think that means that God is pleased. Listen, listen, you've got to understand something. There was no one in the world that God was more pleased with than his own son. And he said to his son, go to the cross. We have got to change our mindset here. And I know this is hard because we live in America where we have everything that we need. Where we have more money than we know what to do with. I was driving down the road just the other day, and we were driving down the road on uh, 36, and we were going, and they're building over there somewhere, don't worry, don't where, they're building another storage unit thing. There's one coming up right over there. What in the world? I want you to think about that for a second. Now, we used a storage unit when we were moving because we didn't have a house. We have so much stuff in this country that we have to go pay somebody because we don't have room to keep it all. And we talk about it and we go, oh, America's blessed. But let me just be honest with you. Can we just be honest, please? But America is dying spiritually. And there are places who have nothing. And God's spirit is moving. Now, I want you to stop and I want you to think, who's rich and who's poor? Well, that's what we do. People got a lot. God must be blessing them. That's not the way it works. James speaks that in this verse. He basically says, listen, don't you understand who the rich really are? Sometimes it is the poor. And the final thing, to show partiality shows a selfish streak in us. Okay? Now, let's, let's listen. Listen, this is between you and God. But let's pull back the, the, the curtain for a second. Let's pull back the blanket. Let's just be honest, all right? You ready? You find somebody that's rich. You find somebody that's got stuff. And what do you normally do? What can I get out of it? You want to talk about pastors? Let's talk about pastors. You ready? I'm one of those, so we'll talk about them. Somebody walks into our church, they look like they got money, and boy, we spend a lot of time focusing on them because you know what? That's a lot of tithe money. That's a lot of tithe money. Somebody comes in, maybe the car isn't quite as nice, maybe the clothes aren't quite as nice. Eh. We're selfish. We want to see what we can get out of it. That's wrong. And God, forgive us for doing it. But it shows that selfish streak in us. 
So we need to reject it. Not just say no to it. Literally reject it and run from it because it causes so much problems. So with that, now we need to see what point number two is because James begins now to move into a different, slightly different direction, but one that goes along with that idea. And that is that we need to completely embrace love for our neighbors. Look at James 8, 9. It says, if you really fulfill the, the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. If you do this one thing, you're doing well. If you do this other thing, it's sin. It's very simple. It's very easy to understand. But we've got to be able to do that. Let's look at Leviticus 19.18 because we talked about this when we did our series on, on being a neighbor. And that says this, if you, sh- you should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. We have to understand here because what's happening is James is real smart, which I love this. James is already beginning to answer the, the, the questions or the response of his readers. And so they're thinking, oh, aren't I loving my neighbor? I'm loving the rich man. Again, the problem here is not the way he's treating the rich man. The problem is, is they're treating the rich man one way and the poor man another way. And James here is saying, listen, if you're going to fulfill the royal law, then you love your neighbor. No matter what they look like, no matter what they believe, no matter what race they are, no matter what gender they are, no matter what political party they agree with. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. Now look, you have your political opinions? Great. That's fine. But never let it keep you from loving. Don't let anything keep you from loving. You say, but but, 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 do you know what those kids did to my yard? Yeah, I probably do because I probably did it to someone else's yard when I was their age. And God still commands you to love. Completely embrace it. If you're committing the sin of partiality, it's because you are looking at the outward appearance or even the actions that they're doing and you're disagreeing and you're saying basically they do not qualify for me to love them because they are this. Boy, that doesn't sound at all like the church today, does it? Remember we talked about James kind of like in a real loving way, kind of walking up to your toes and going. It hurts a little bit. But that's okay. Because remember, my beloved. Remember my beloved. But listen, to love your neighbor is to love them no matter who they are. Not just the ones that live next to you, but all people in all situations, in all circumstance whether they have influence or not, whether they have a nice appearance or not, no matter their position or their wealth or lack thereof, no matter what it is, we love them completely. If we don't, it's sin. Because we're showing a bias against them, which is not how God sees us or people. We have to understand that. Number three, we have to now also reject selective obedience. We have to reject selective obedience. Look at James 2, 10 through 13. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. 
verse number 12. Oh, I didn't put verse number 12 on there. That's my fault. Okay. You did great, Nathan. That was my fault. Let's talk about that for a second. Here, wait a minute. I got it right here. Sometimes I get too dependent on the, the thing as well. No, that was my fault. I put the wrong. Linda, that was my fault. I gave the wrong verse. I went a little too far. But in this, we have to understand a couple things, okay? Let's, you've, you've kind of heard me talk about this before, and I got a little bit more information on it. But I want, Nathan, if you want to put that picture up now, um, I actually wanted to show you a picture. This is um, Thomas, one, of, one of Thomas Jefferson's Bibles, okay? We've talked about this before, and I, I kind of wrote some things down so I wouldn't mess it up and make sure I was historically correct. But basically what happened was Thomas Jefferson took several Bibles. Now, he did not do this to, to distribute or to share. This was for his own personal study and personal thing. But, but basically, he took his Bibles, and he had several, and he went through, and as you see here, he cut out stuff. He took, he took glue and, and, a, and a knife, and he basically cut out Scripture, and basically he put it all together, and he put it into a volume that basically he called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. And basically what he did, he took Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and he took them and he cut out sections that he wanted in his Bible, and he put them in chronological order, but he left out some specific things on purpose. He specifically left out any miracles that Jesus performed. He specifically left out the resurrection. He completely removed anything that described Jesus as the Son of God. And he put these all things together, and then he had his little volume. And he literally, as you can see, cut things out. Now, the stuff he cut out, that was in his world the good stuff. And the rest he left. Because he didn't see Jesus as the Son of God in a lot of ways. He liked his teachings. He called himself a Christian. But he decided what he would obey and what he didn't. He basically put, and I wrote this down, he did it for him, supporting the Christian faith as he saw it. And we look at this, and let's be honest, how could he do that? How could he? Oh, that's just horrible. Oh, oh, Thomas Jefferson. Oh, I'll never, ever, ever use a nickel again. But before we get real high and mighty, can we just kind of be honest with ourselves? We kind of do that quite a bit too. Now, hopefully we're not taking our pocket knives out or or, our exacto knives and we're not making our own little Bible, but we kind of tend to choose our things too. We tend to kind of look at things and go, ooh, ooh, I really like this part that Jesus said, but this part I don't like so much. And we tend to focus on that and not on the things we don't like. We tend to think, oh, I'll obey this. This is easy, or I like this. But God, I don't want to obey that. That's what James is talking about here. He's not just talking about, he's talking about, listen, you can't have selective obedience. You can't say, listen, I really like this don't have adultery thing. That works for me. I'm good with that. But you know what? That guy over there, he really needs to get it, and I'm going to go get him. You can't do it. That's not the way it works. And when we sin and when we mess up, we've messed up in the hole. And we can't have selective obedience. We can't look at God and basically say, God, I want this. Now listen, I want you to hear, me, hear my heart on this. Because I think this is a big, big, big deal in our world today. Okay? A big, big, big deal. Because I think this is a major problem that we're having. We think that we get to determine who God is. 
Why is that dangerous? We tend to basically look at it and go, God, I really, really love your grace and mercy. But this judgment stuff, I don't like so much. I, I don't want, I've literally heard people say, I don't, that's not my Jesus. And I look at them with love, as sweet as I can say, and say, you don't get to make that call. Listen, we take Jesus in all. Do we always understand everything that Jesus has done? Uh Uh-uh, we don't. There's times where I go, why did he say that? Why did he do that? God, why did you do this? Why did you do that? But you know what? God defines himself, not you, not me. And God has given us ample illustration of who he is and what he is in his word. But don't do this. Listen, listen, if you have doubts with certain things that Jesus did, have your doubts. God is fine with you wrestling with him. God is fine with you coming with your doubts and saying, God, I don't understand why you did this. God, I don't understand why you did that. God, I don't understand. God is completely cool with that. He welcomes that. But don't start cutting stuff out that you don't understand. Don't start cutting things out that you say, basically, I'll follow this, but I won't follow this. It doesn't work that way. God never said you'd understand everything. He never promised you that. But he promised he'd love you through it. You can't have selective obedience. Because if you do, I promise you, it won't work. It won't be what God wants you to understand about who he is. Because we've got to understand something. You can't have grace and you can't have mercy without justice. It doesn't work. If there's no justice, if there's no punishment, then God's love, what is it? It's hollow. It's empty. Do you see why this is dangerous? And we've seen this trend in the church just be rampant recently. Where people have said basically, I don't like this part of God. And because of that, they've said, the Bible doesn't say that. Or they've taken the Bible out of context to prove a point. And I'm sorry, but it's brought a lot of people into a place that they don't need to be at. And I'm not trying to be judgmental here. Because I look at it and I go, oh Lord, please help me to look at the word and understand it the right way. Because I don't want to say something that's not of you. But we take Jesus in all forms. Because Jesus is love. And he is grace. And he is goodness. But there's more. And James begins to share it as we move into the last point. So we've rejected partiality. We've embraced love. We've rejected selfish, or not selfish, selective obedience. And the final thing that we need to embrace is we need to embrace action and mercy. Action and mercy. James 2, 12 through 13. It says, so speak and act as those who are, be, are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. We need to look at this verse for a second and look at the first thing. Number one, in verse number 12, we have to see a couple of things that you need to look at. Now, if you have a Bible, if you actually have one of those that's paper, you can underline it if you want. If you've got uh, yours on your, your phone or whatever, there's usually a way to highlight. Highlight for me two words, please. Highlight speak and act. Speak and act. Because these are very important to James's book. He doesn't just say... Be this, he says, to speak it and to act it. 
We are to speak and act these things out. It is not enough to understand. It has to be action and it has to be spoken. There has to be more. Listen, if you know these things mentally, but they never penetrate your heart and it never causes your life to be any different, what have you gained? We're going to see in a little while that James continues on this theme. And he basically says, faith without works is dead. So I have a simple question. What in your life are you acting out? And what are you speaking out that shows mercy? That shows love? That shows a desire to make a difference in someone's life? These are simple questions. These are things that we should be able to look at and hopefully be able to speak out quickly that this is the situation. This is what we're doing. And if we're not, okay, we need to forgive, ask God for forgiveness and make some changes in our lives. But the idea here is to speak and act. There's got to be action. There's got to be movement. And now, why? Why does there have to be this? Why? He continues, because we're going to be judged. We're going to be judged. Look at 2 Corinthians 5. This is what Paul says. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, I want to stop here and and let's clarify a term so we all understand, okay? The term here is the word all. A-L-L. Definition. Everybody. That was deep. Glad you receded. Everybody good. Everyone is going to do that. I've met some Christians and we talk, oh, I won't be judged. Oh, yes, you will. Now, you're not going to be judged like an unbeliever will be judged. But you will, sit, you will stand before God. You will stand before Jesus. It says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now, why? Why are we doing this? So that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This judgment is not a situation where God opens up the book of life and says, are, is your name written here? This is a judgment where basically Jesus is going to look at what you have done. You're saved, you're in heaven, everything's good, but you still have to sit, you still have to stand before Jesus to give an account of your life. We see this in parables that Jesus taught. We see this in Revelation. We see this here. We see this concept that we are going to stand before Christ one day and give an account for what we have done. And so James here is not trying to be scary. I remember when I was a kid, judgment was such a scary thing. It's judgment. And usually, you know, the guy had on a three-piece suit and, 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 and sounded like he was always clearing his throat when he spoke. And I remember being scared to death of God's judgment. You know, here's the thing you need to understand. That's a beautiful thing. Look, look, look. We're going to stand before God. And we're going to receive what is due, whether good or evil. Now listen, if you have not done the things that God's asked you to do, I can understand that may not be something pleasant for you. I'm doing my best, and I fail a lot, but I'm doing my best so that when I stand before Jesus, Jesus goes, hey man, you did pretty good. Listen, I'm not shooting for a woohoo or you're awesome. I'm going, Jesus, I just want a pretty good. Give me a pretty good. That's what I want. And, and, and probably I'll just be okay with Jesus saying, you know, thanks for not really messing things up. You know, we'll take it. But we're all going to have to stand there. So let's think about that for a second. Let's think about our lives for a second in, with this in mind. 
When Jesus says, hey, listen, I, I need you to go share my love with somebody, and you say no, how that, how's that going to play out when you're in front of Jesus, do you think? When Jesus has said, I want you to be obedient in the way that I, I want you to give your time or your money, and you stand before God, how, how's that going to play out for you? And listen, I, listen, I am not scary at all. I don't have a three-piece suit on. I'm not scary. I'm just telling you what the facts are. We are all going to stand before Christ one day. And listen, I want us all for that to be a glorious moment. I want us all to look at that and go, man, that's good. Man, that's awesome. I, I, I did some things. God used me. And God rewards us for those things. I don't want that to be a situation where Jesus looks at us and goes, really? Really? We talked about this earlier. You lived in the richest country in the history of the world and you didn't tithe? Oh, there he is talking about money again. Yeah, I am talking about money again because it's a part of who we are and it's a part of not being, oh, that part about selective obedience. Remember that? Yeah. I don't want him to look at me and say, you didn't love the people I put in your life. You judged them. You looked at the outward appearance. You were biased. You showed partiality. To somebody you thought was all that, you were super kind and you did all these things, but somebody that you didn't think measured up, you put in a low place. You see, as James finishes this section, really what he brings us to is this understanding that our actions and our words matter. They matter. Not just because we're going to be judged, but because they matter in people's lives. Listen, wouldn't it be awesome, follow me here for a second, wouldn't it be awesome if we did these things and there wasn't a reward or a judgment anywhere in Scripture? And we did it just because we loved. Wouldn't that be something? Now this is happening, okay? Don't misunderstand. This is happening. But isn't it a beautiful thing when we do things not out of fear or obligation, but we do them because we love Jesus? I think that's what James is saying here. He's saying, yeah, there's a judgment. And yeah, you're going to deal with it. And you're going to have to deal with it. But you know what? You know what? Mercy trumps judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Love triumphs over judgment. So if the worship team would come back up. I know I've gone a little bit long. Guys, I'm sorry. I tried as best I could to get through this as quickly as possible and hit the things that needed to be hit. But let's, let's just talk, okay? As, as we kind of finish this section of James, I'm just going to ask a, a simple question. In your life, okay, and I'm going to go real broad here. In your life, does mercy triumph over judgment? Okay? Remember what the point of all this is. The point of all this is to grow. The point of all this is that when James steps on our foot, that we don't go have a pity party in the corner. We realize that there's a possibility our foot wasn't where it belongs. And we go, oh, yeah, my beloved, my beloved, my beloved. Okay, 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 God, 
I need to do better here. And then God says, awesome, let's grow. Let's do a better job. Let's see the world a different way. Let's see the people in it in a way that shows love. Because the bottom line is, is our world is falling apart. And it's falling apart in certain ways because the sin of partiality. We don't love the people that don't think like us. Or feel the same way about things. Listen, and please understand what I'm going here with. I'm not saying that we shouldn't be strong in our beliefs. We should. But let's be honest. Come on, guys. Let's think about this. There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. And I think we're probably old enough to understand what the difference is. Look, I'm one of the most opinionated people on the planet. I'm stubborn. But if my goal is to be right and not share the love and the mercy of Jesus, I have failed miserably. And maybe I got somebody to vote the way I wanted them to, or to do what I wanted them to, or to give me what I wanted them to. But really all I've done in a lot of ways is not shown them Jesus. I've shown them broken man and a broken man. As a pastor, I've had people come up to me and they've said, why don't you focus more on this group? Or we should focus on that group. Or, or we shouldn't focus on this group. Or whatever. I know I just may be simple-minded and I totally understand the concept of, of you got to have a target. I get all that. But what if our target was just people? What if it was just not a certain subset or maybe not a certain age, but what if it was just everybody in this world that's broken? What if that was the goal? What if we said, it doesn't matter if Bill Gates walks into this church or a homeless person that smells like high heaven walks in this church, we'd welcome them the same and throw our arms around them just the same and love them just the same. I'll be honest and I'm just going to speak for me I don't know if I do that I drive down the road and I see somebody on the side of the road with a sign I just be honest I think probably an alcoholic probably a drug addict Guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've committed this sin a lot. You see, sometimes we talk about getting our feet stepped on. Mine are pretty sore too. But it's one thing to acknowledge it. It's another thing to let God's spirit come and change us. And that's what James is wanting to do. He's wanting to make sure we see these things so that we can let God change us, make a difference in us. And that's what he wants to do. But the thing is, we've got to let him. And I really believe the first step in that is realizing that maybe we're not as holy as we think we are. Maybe we're not as smart as we think we are. And maybe we've got to come to a place where we go, you know what? I'm a pretty broken person that, yeah, God's putting back together, but he's not finished with yet. And let him do in our hearts something 
special and deep. Because I truly believe God wants to use this church in a powerful way. And he, listen, and he wants to do it different than any other church around us. Does that make us better? No, it just makes us different. That's all. Because God's doing other things in other churches just like he wants to do there. But he wants to do something different here. And that means that we are going to have to do things differently. And let God change us in a powerful way. So we're going to pray and then, oh my goodness, I'm sorry. We're going to pray and then I'm going to have John lead us in a song. And then we're going to close. So Father, we come to you right now. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit in everyone that is willing to allow it to happen, that, Father, your spirit would literally turn on a searchlight in our hearts. That, Father, that we would not try to pull things back, that we would not try to say, no, I don't want... Th-. That, Father, we would totally say, just, just, just turn the searchlight on, Father, and show us these things. God, I pray that you show us specific instances where we have sinned in this way, that we've judged evilly, that we've done things that we haven't, that we've shown judgment, not mercy. That we've been disobedient. That we said, God, I'll follow this law, but not that. Father, I pray that you would just illuminate those things. Not to embarrass us, not because you want to shame us or because you look at us and say, how could you? You want us to do that so that we can come to you and you can bring healing and forgiveness and grace and growth. That's why this is, this is important. And so, Father, I pray that we be honest with ourselves. And Father, if those things are there, that Father, right now, even as I am praying, that Father, we would begin to repent. Repentance is beautiful. Repentance brings us home. Repentance is not a bad thing. Repentance is understanding who we are, who you are, and what you want to do in us. It is a celebration of love and mercy and grace because you are faithful to forgive us of our sins. There's nothing that we won't bring to you that you won't say, nope, sorry, too bad. No, you screwed up too much. You'll forgive us and love us and open your arms to us and welcome us home. And so, Father, right now, in front of all these people, because if I won't do it, and if I can't lead them, then, God, what am I doing? Father, I right now repent for judging. Father, right now I repent for the sin of partiality in my own life. Father, I pray that you would forgive me and help me. Father, I pray that you would bring me to a deeper place in you. That, Father, I wouldn't look at the outward appearance. I'd look at the heart. That I would love all people, not just the ones that look like me or believe like me, but every person. Because you love every person. Because you show no partiality. And that in that and through that, not only would I grow, but that people would sit and feel your love for them. That we would truly follow that royal command that says, love your neighbor as yourself. Because quite honestly, if you're sitting with partiality, you can't love your neighbor. They're, exclu- they're, they're, they're mutually exclusive. It doesn't work. And so, Father, right now, I pray that we would just, we, we, we run to you, God. Help us. Change us. Make us more like you. You're good. And we love you so much. Let's all stand. The worship team is going to come and lead us in a closing song.